Welcome everyone to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Witcher, and boy, do we have some information for you today. I have with me six master IEP coaches who are ready to drop some special education truths and strategies that you need to hear. I'm talking real-time action steps that you can take as a parent, teacher, admin, or therapist. This is for everyone. If you're watching us live, you can go ahead and post questions below. If you're listening on the podcast, you'll see in the show notes how you can get a hold of everybody and get your direct IEP questions answered. So welcome everyone to um, our Master IEP Coach panel. We have Sandy, Brianne, Kirby, Lisa, Heather, and Bernie. And I'm actually gonna start with Sandy. So Sandy's gonna tell you who she is, how she ended up at an IEP table, and then she's gonna go right into giving you her IEP tip that you can take and use right now. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. And Catherine, thank you again for this wonderful, amazing opportunity. I always love collaborating with the team. Um, so as Catherine mentioned, I'm Sandy. I'm in Florida. I've been working on IEPs for about over 15 years since my son, Will, who's on the autism spectrum, had one. Um, he's 22 years old now. And ever since his elementary world, we were working at that IEP table. And I ended up working later on in the school system as a paraprofessional and uh, school librarian, and they would bring me in often to translate for the Spanish-speaking families um, during the IEP meetings. And that's where I really started to notice that not everybody had all the information and not all the parents knew what, they, what it was that they didn't know about the world of special education. And I said, this is where I need to be. That's my wheelhouse. And in particular, I have a love for helping the bilingual community. I'm fully bilingual. And, and so many times that's an underserved area. Um, my and, and of course, I started working professionally as an advocate about five years ago, and I joined Catherine this past summer, and I love the mentorship, love the group, love these people. Um, my tip for families today is there is a difference between screenings and evaluations. Oftentimes when families ask the schools to please evaluate their students, they're told, oh, well, we're going to go ahead and do a screening first and we'll see. Then later on, we'll figure out if they need the evaluation. There is a vast difference between the two. Screenings are brief tests. They are sometimes even just a simple checklist. And they, they're used to identify if a student's met certain milestones, if maybe they could benefit from a little extra help. An evaluation goes so much deeper. An evaluation can help diagnose learning disabilities. An evaluation can help um, identify areas of deficits, very specific pinpoint areas of deficits that are really important to help craft those goals and those services for the kids. Absolutely. And I want to remind everybody who's listening that everything that we're talking about today has to do with the federal law. We're not lawyers, but we're going to tell you where to look. We're going to show you what action steps you can take to move towards achieving this appropriate education for your children and for your students. And there is no such thing as screenings 
in ideal law in a way of achieving an appropriate education. There are evaluations. So screenings are a very district level, very state level kind of process that are um, really just part of the system. And it's just a, a, a method that is used. So I love that, Sandy. Thank you for bringing that up where we don't talk enough about screenings, evaluations, those first steps in getting in there. And with everything that's been happening in our education system, there's a lot of parents that are wondering about other areas that their child might need help with. And they're reaching out to the school and they're hearing those words, screenings and evaluations. So I love that piece. All right, let's go to Brianne. Um, Brianne, will you tell us how did you, you know, end up at an IEP table? What is your IEP tip for us today? All right, so I ended up at the IEP table as first a sibling to, I have a 15 year old brother, but I got a little deeper with my son and I decided to become an advocate about six years ago when my son was about six, five, five or six and he was about to get expelled. He was nonverbal, he's on the autism spectrum. And I knew sitting at that table of six people, I needed more support than just myself. And I stumbled across the master IEP coach maybe about a year or two later. And I decided I really love the approach and say, you know what, I need to be a part of this. And so here I am a couple of years later. And I would say the number one tip I like to give to my clients and any parent is to ensure any type of phone conversation, in-person conversation you have, follow up with an email just so you have that paper trail so you can also refer back to anytime you need to. So it's a that's that's my tip for everyone. That's so important. You know, we have so much chaos that's happening in education right now. And following up with an email after a phone conversation is huge for a parent. Um, that leads right into our next master IB coach, Heather, who's going to really elaborate on that from a teacher perspective. So Heather, share with us who you are, what you do, and, and keep this conversation going for us. For sure. Thanks, Catherine, for having us, of course. Um, I am a teacher in Illinois, and I've been a special education teacher for seven years now. Um, and I've always felt that the connection between parents and teachers was like never there. It was always two separate entities. And that's when I found Master IEP Coach. And I was like, I need to bring this world together. We need to figure out a better way to collaborate from teachers to parents. Um, so I'm going to piggyback off of um, that last tip. And I'm going to make sure that we make sure that we write down if you have a request as a parent, if you have a request as a teacher, make sure it's in writing. Otherwise, it didn't happen. Um, that is so important. I've had so many parents ask for certain things or say, hey, it'd be nice if we could try this. Um, but never goes anywhere because it's never written down. It's just verbal. Um, the people didn't get the right information. It's not in a document that says, hey, let's really try this out. Um, so I would just really make sure that if you are requesting something for a change in an IEP or an extra class or whatever it is, just make sure it gets written down. That's so important. So many times we have really collaborative conversations like you're talking about between parents and teachers, but it's lost. 
just from the the hustle and bustle of the school system, then it just gets lost. And it's like, we have the best of intentions. And then the next thing you know, where it's 90 days later, we're meeting for a parent teacher conference and somebody's getting thrown under the bus for something that was informally talked about, but not followed up on. So that is super important. And I love to hear that from a teacher's perspective, because a lot of times parents sit in front of their keyboard wondering like, do I really do this? Do I really follow up? Do I really put this in writing? Like I just talked to her on the phone. I'll just wait and see. I'll give her a chance to get started. A teacher doesn't care if you like write that email right away and say, that was a great conversation. It's my understanding. This is what's going to be happening next. So that's, that's really important. All right. So now we have Lisa. Now, Lisa, we are, we are halfway through our master IP coach panel and you know what? It's time for some celebration. So let's talk about some goodness that just happened. Can you share with us our celebration and then give us a tip? Yes, I would love to share my my celebration with all of you. Um, I'm Lisa and I became a Master IP coach a couple uh, by about three years ago now um, because as a mother of a special needs child, he's on the autism spectrum. He's 17 now. Um, he's been had an IEP from um, all the way back to preschool. And at that time, I never felt like I was fully informed of understanding how I needed to advocate for my child. I felt like I was not making informed decisions on his behalf. And so I, I was seeking to gain more knowledge. And that is where um, I fell in love with um, Catherine's um, Master IEP Coach program um, for I could better serve my son, but also um, other special needs families in my community. Um, and so that leads to my celebration that um, yesterday, as I said, my son's 17 and on the autism spectrum, that he actually was able to drive to school by himself with a school permit. And that is a huge accomplishment um, based on the journey that we have taken over the last 17 years. Um, it was It's so vivid in my mind um, because it, it was so heart-wrenching at the time. So it will always be in my mind very clear that when he was in fifth grade and we were having extreme behavioral issues and academic um, delays that um, a professional actually sat down with my husband and I and directly said to us that we should in the near future start exploring group homes for our child um, because he had maxed out. Um, as a mama bear, I just, I knew that there was so much more potential in my child um, than, than anyone else was seeing. Um, we just needed to figure out how to tap into it. So that brings me to my tip that if I would have listened to the, that professional, um, we would have never accomplished this milestone, but rather what I did was made sure that my son received the services he needed to excel. And so I would highly recommend to all families um, and even teachers to make sure that no services are removed from a student's IEP until uh, comprehensive evaluations are completed to make sure that the child has met those goals and that that child no longer needs those services. Because 
I am the biggest proponent um, with families that I service as a master IEP coach and also with um, me founding my future readiness program that all children have unlim unlimited potential as long as they have the right supports and services. Absolutely. So, you know, I, here's what's frustrating. I'm going to share a, a little bit on a, a personal note here, too. Um, many of you guys know I have a brother who has Down syndrome. He's 43. And group homes are always brought up in a way of almost giving up. And group homes shouldn't be thought of that way. There are a lot of fantastic options that really do um, help with inclusion in the community and having this group home environment. So you had a similar experience, Lisa, where they brought up a group home almost as a, it's time to give up on some things and just resign to the fact that they're going to have a certain kind of lifestyle. And first of all, a group home lifestyle can be great. Second mm -hmm. of all, why are you setting a ceiling of, of like limits when a child's in fifth grade? That That's just not a professional outlook at all. So um, I love that you said comprehensive. That goes back to what Sandy was saying earlier of like not just a screening, not just a guess. This is really comprehensive information. So I'm going to encourage everyone um, to make sure that as you are hearing these action steps, that you know that you can reach out to myiepcoach.com. Um, every one of our master IEP coaches that's on the panel today, they're there listed in the directory. Or if you don't see them, you don't want to search for them in the directory. There's a form right at myiepcoach.com that you can put your name, your email and say, hey, I need to talk to Lisa or Heather and Sandy, Kirby and Bernie are coming up here um, with their tips. Just let us know, who are you hearing from that you're like, yes, I want to talk about this more and make sure you go to myiepcoach.com because the one thing that you need to know for sure is that you should not be doing special education alone. Do, being on this journey and trying to figure it out by yourself is going to cause you more heartache as a parent and as a teacher, then is necessary. We promise that, that we can help you through this process. So, Absolutely. all right, so let's go to um, Kirby. Kirby, will you tell us how did you end up at an IEP table and what's your action step for us? Yes, um, I ended up at an IEP table because my um, son, when he was um, two years old, was diagnosed with severe nonverbal autism. And that was my first um, experience at the IEP table. I um, took that experience with my um, college um, degree in pre-law and left the meeting. Like, how can this be right? How is this um, adequate for all these kiddos? And so immediately I left there. I called disability rights. And I've been working with them ever since. Um, and my biggest tip is for parents, because when I came in to the meeting the first time, I was a young mom. My husband was in the Navy and I was there all by myself. And there were all these people that seemed like they knew my son that they saw for an hour more than me. And it was overwhelming. And it took me a while to understand that I'm the expert on my kiddo and that I can ask questions. I can request data. I can 
be the voice that he doesn't have. And I found him to be a very valuable member of the IEP team. And I constantly re remind my IEP team that I'm an equal member. And now we have a great collaborative relationship. And I think that if you go in there with that attitude, like, hey, I want to collaborate. I want to see what's going on. I want to know what I can do better. That that really gives you as the parent some perspective of what is happening during the school day. And it also gives you some vital information as an IEP team member. So Kirby, I love what you said there when you said you're the expert on your child and you want to have a collaborative mindset when you're going in there. And then you followed up with a key question. You said, and what can I do different or better? So parents who come in as an expert don't have to um, put up that shield or put on that armor and be ready for a fight. You can be the expert and still learn more. You can be the expert and still collaborate. So Kirby, I love that you just kind of naturally threw that into your tip of like, hey, go be the expert and go collaborate and go get some further information from the team because they are going to know some things about your kiddo that you don't know, but that's okay. You can still be the expert. You can still know your child the best and accept some different information that's coming towards you and, and then put it all together. Um, so I love that piece. So let's go to Bernie's um, tip that she's going to have for us. And then we've got a couple of questions that are here for us that we're going to go ahead and take those live and um, do a little Q&A. So Bernie, will you please tell us how did you end up at an IEP table and what is your IEP tip for us? Yes. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Bernie and I am from California. I'm actually um, in Berkeley, the Bay Area. I became a master IEP coach because um, my oldest uh, has ADHD. He also has a rare chromosome deletion that affects his learning. Um, when he was in preschool, or actually when he was about two and a half, I started to see red flags. Um, but I didn't know if those were red flags that were going to eventually go away. When he started preschool, I mentioned to the teacher, I said, you know, these are my concerns. Um, could you let me know what we can do? Um, she suggested that we go ahead and do an evaluation. Um, and that's where it kind of started. Um, at the beginning of it all, I was pretty naive. I was trusting the school, the district, um, on everything, what I had to do. So I was expecting for them to tell me what I needed to um, to fill out, what I needed to know. Um, and that wasn't really working. So the beginning of our journey was a really tough journey. Um, and because I had a tough journey, I don't want other parents to experience the same thing. Because like everyone's ex said, it's very overwhelming. It's super stressful. It is, you know, you sometimes go to bed crying at night because you don't know what you're going to do. Um, and because I've gone through that, I would want other parents to have a different experience. Um, and so my tip for parents today is to have, it's important to have um, a year round communication with your team and your teacher. 
And if I would have known that back when I started, I think it probably wouldn't have been as hard as it was. Um, because like I said, I was really naive. And so I was waiting for the district and for the school, the teachers, the team to come to me and to tell me what I had to do or um, you know, pass information along to me. And I'm just sitting at home waiting instead of me reaching out to them. Um, so now what I do is every start of the school year, if um, I introduce myself with a teacher, I hand them um, a get to know my child cheat sheet so that they know who my kid is. I even ask them to have a quick sit down to go over that. Um, and I even ask for a transitional IEP meeting at the beginning of the school year because I want to be able to have it all on the table, communicate with the new teacher and the team where my child was at at the end of the school year, where he's at this first 60, 90 days of school, and where we want him to go next. Um, so I know sometimes you know parents don't wanna have those extra meetings, um, but I do. I like to call that you know, transitional meeting at the beginning of the school year, just so everyone's on the same page and just keep that year round communication with the teacher and everyone constantly. Absolutely. So some of the biggest miscommunication in special education happens because people are sitting and waiting. They're waiting for the other person to call them up, to send the email, to send home the data sheet. Like just, just ask guys, just ask. So yeah. Teachers, relieve your stress and just reach out to the parents if you haven't heard from them. Like, it, I know I've done it as a teacher myself way back in the day when I was in the classroom. I was holding my breath sometimes. Like, I haven't heard from that parent in a while. I hope she's okay. I hope she's like not getting ready to send me like a three page email. Why did I not just ask? I don't know. So, you know, and then why did the parent wait until there was a three page email? Because like, why were we not just talking? It's something that does not happen naturally on IEP teams very often. So I want to encourage people to do that. All right. So um, we have a question and I'm definitely going to want to um, get Heather's feedback on this from a teacher's perspective. And then um, my parents who are here on the panel as master IP coaches, if you have any experience, like direct experience with this, with um, a client or with your own child. I'd love to hear a couple of tips or just input on this. So um, this question is from Sheila. She's from uh, Brooklyn and she said, this remote learning thing is a nightmare for my son and I. Yep, we're hearing that in a lot of different places. The curriculum N2Y uh, is not in his IEP. So for those of you who are not familiar, N2Y is an awesome special education curriculum that many school districts use. In fact, I think it's like over 6,000 school districts across the country use N2Y. I have to give them a shout out because N2Y is a big supporter and collaborator of the Master IEP Coach program. They actually work with us to help us give a fantastic VIP weekend for our Master IEP coaches. Um, we collaborate and share knowledge. And it is a really fantastic organization that is all on board with parents and teachers and teams all working together. So there's my shout out to N2Y. But it says that N2Y, uh, the curriculum N2Y is not as IEP and it's way above its capacity, which tells us that accommodations, modifications, those aren't happening. But here's the second part. She says, and now they're asking me about his assessing him remotely. <laughs> and this is a big roadblock that's happening. So Heather, you know, you're in the classroom virtually. I'm sure that you've had some 
conversations of assessments and stuff come up. Um, and I believe that you are working with students that may be using some type of N2Y type of curriculum. So can you just pop in here and, and give some feedback of like, what are some things that Sheila should be doing as a mom, maybe asking, or what should she be expecting? No, of course. Um, so I am actually using N2Y with my students as well. Um, and I am a remote teacher all year long. So this is totally in my realm. Um, so first off, I want to say like N2Y is not in his IEP because teachers generally don't do that because if a student gets transferred to a different teacher that doesn't use that curriculum, then there's a whole slew of things because their goal is now aligned to a curriculum that they're no longer using. Is that goal still meaningful? There's a whole thing that goes with it. Um, so that's why it's not in his IEP specifically stating that he is using N2Y. Um, and if it's above his capacity, I would just say, um, I, I know I don't have a whole lot of information to go off of, but is it the reading comprehension? Is it the understanding? Is it the fluency? Is he reading? Is he not? Um, so I think that's why they're asking about the assessment um, for him remotely. Um, so the two options I know of, and anybody please chime in, um, is they can do it virtually through the screen with him. Um, they can share their screen. He can answer, point to an answer. You can tell, um, you know, the teacher what he pointed to. Um, so that's an option. Um, you can definitely, a teacher can assess him remotely, not you assessing him remotely. Um, so there should be a little bit of help from the um, school by that way. Um, they shouldn't be asking you to do that whole thing by yourself. Um, the other option I know that my school is doing is they are allowing families to bring the child in for an in-person assessment if needed. Um, I, I know everybody's comfortability is different right now. Um, so that is an option um, if you would like to ask can I bring my child in for a one hour assessment? Um, there might be other things that they can do with him while he's there, if that's something you're comfortable with. Otherwise, I would say, try to ask about a teacher assessing him. Remotely. Absolutely, so I, that's what I'm hearing across the country is that there is a lot of collaboration that has to happen between the parent and the teacher to get this done through the screen, uh, but it is possible. Now, will it be as clear of a number? Meaning, you know, is this the same as sitting side by side? No, we have to make notes and say how it was, um, how it was given through the screen, how many prompts were used. But what's great is even if the parent does some extra prompting, which quite honestly is what the habit is of a parent because they're, they're working on the assessment and that the teacher can see it. So the teacher can just take a note of how many prompts were given to get to that answer. And that's additional data on there. Um, if any other master IEP coaches have any um, experience with that, go ahead. Uh, Brianna. Yes, I will also add, um, if your state still have psychologists or things that are actually still taking patients in their office, collaborate that way. Ask where are you willing to contract with such and such? A lot of times I like to bring the psychologist to them and then they work out that contract because it tends to make it a little easier and they can, the school can translate where this is the type of things that needs to be assessed. They can work out the kinks, but as we've mentioned in all of our tips, always follow up. You as the parent initiate that conversation because you will tend to get thrown out of the loop because everybody's waiting for somebody to, to say something. And as far as the curriculum, 
I'm with Heather on that. They don't typically do that just because if you decide to move, so, so you're changing districts and things like that, that can create a whole issue. But if it was recommended or stated that this is curriculum he should or should not be using, then that should be maybe in an email or somewhere, or that needs to just be clearly communicated across the board. So if a change does happen, say, hey, this is what he was using, do you have something similar? I that? love that. So so that's I been love my that tip, Brianne, of making sure that we look to outside resources if appropriate. So mm -hmm. there has been a lot of that during this distance learning where maybe the school can't do the walk-in services like Heather's stating, but they're um, they're open to the idea of the child doing a walk-in service to somebody else and outside that's not a school contracted employee that is a you know somebody who's in the community as a community provider in that way so I love that tip and um, it's so important for us to continue to collect this data we actually decided not to talk a whole lot about data in general because we talk about it all the time as master IP coaches like on every podcast episode, we're talking about data because it's that important. So now we're giving you this framework on how you can truly get to the data because that's what everybody's saying. Like, well, that's great. I want the data. I hear you telling me to get the data. I don't know how to get that data. Okay, now let's do, now that we have all of our tips. Okay, so let's do a little rapid fire. I did not tell you guys I was gonna ask you this question. So who's ever ready is just gonna go ahead and say, say say their opinion on this because there is no right answer this is all i love to let people know your favorite part of the iep or maybe a part of the iep that people don't look at very often you don't have to don't tell us all about it we'll we'll do that on another episode but give us like a, a tip because like for example one of my favorite parts of the iep is that accommodations and modifications so when a, a, a parent comes to me, like Sheila, who just had that question and was like, hey, like this curriculum's not working. It's not, you know, my son doesn't have the capacity to work at the curriculum is being put at him. I'm not gonna blame the curriculum or the teacher or, or, or that situation until I look at supports and services and say, is everything being implemented to make this possible? And that's a piece that gets looked at last a lot of time. And I wanna look at that first to see that. So who here has, their favorite part of the IEP that they hope everybody looks at first? I, I would say for me, it's that parent input statement that's in everyone, every child's IEP. It might be called a little, something a little bit different, such as parent concerns. Um, but that is, to me, I utilize that as a foundation to um, provide a baseline of what the parents are wanting their child to um, have for their future, um, but also what their concerns are, what their vision and goals are for not just that what, that current year, but even the next you know three, four, five years down the um, road. And that then allows the entire team to be on the same page and is able then to create a very meaningful IEP for that child. Um, because th that's kind of their their navigation that I love that. So statement. parent input statement, also known as parent educational concerns. Um, no matter where you're at and which state, no matter how old your child is, uh, you know whether they're you know three coming into the system or they're 19 working on their transition plan and job training, 
that parent input is key for that. All right. So who who else has a place where people need to go and look? Brianna? Yes, I would definitely say the present levels because the present level is going to drive the goals. You cannot create a goal without anything that's in that present levels. And so that present level talks about their strengths and their weaknesses. So that's one that I really tend to pay attention to. And I have parents pay attention to that as well. 100% those present levels. You can't get to where you're going if you don't know where you're starting. That's all present levels are doing. They're just telling you where you're starting. Okay, who's got a, who's got a favorite part? Bernie has one. Um, well, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a favorite because um, I don't know if I have a favorite part of the IEP. It's probably the whole thing. Um, but an area that I tend to kind of get drawn to is the services and minutes. Um, because when you are sitting at the table, they'll, you know, say to you, oh, 90 minutes for the week or something like that, you know, and at the very beginning for me, I kept asking, can you break that down? What exactly does that mean? You know, how many days a week, how many minutes per day, you know, that that can be very confusing to a parent to um, not have the breakdown of the minutes because they give you just a total of minutes for the whole week. Um, and then also whether services are being given to your child in a group or individually. Um, I like to kind of go over that and just make sure that the parent understands and knows that area of what their kid is actually getting. Um, so. Yeah, 100%. So I've worked in a district um, as not as a teacher, as a, as a master IP coach, you know, working with parents and we're going through the IEP and they wrote all of their minutes by quarter. Like there's a quarter's a long <laughs> time. And, and so, you know, they have like, these gazillion minutes, it looks like, and then it says per quarter. And then you ask like, so is this gonna, like, how are we gonna build consistency? Do they get services every week? And they're like, well, we try to do that. And they're really just kind of clustering the services together to make sure that the quarter minutes were met, but not always consistently. You know, how do you make progress in speech if you're not practicing your skills on a consistent basis? So, Bernie, you're absolutely right. Like that service page, you know, you said minutes written weekly. And I know that somebody listening to this is going to be like, wait, what? Like they have minutes written weekly, like ours are monthly or by quarter or, or that. And yeah, it can be all different. You absolutely have to clarify that. OK, Sandy, you had something for me. So Bernie kind of stole my thunder there, but I have a second one. <laughs> See, great minds think alike, you know. <laughs> um, one, that I also, one that I also love is the support for school personnel. And this may be called something different in different districts, but towards the end of the IEP, teachers, many of them will not push for this for themselves, that they're able to receive training and support in some of the different services or behavior supports or if a student has an uh, assistive technology or an AAC device, or if the behavior analyst has been working with the student creating a behavior plan, the teachers can be given support and training in this and have consultation periodically. And the parents can as well. And it's quite often overlooked. 
Absolutely. I love that section, especially when it comes to this virtual learning environment that a lot of people are going to be using for the rest of the school year. I think we thought like, well, you know, when this first started, it's like, okay, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. <laughs> then we got back to school. And now it's longer and longer. And it's like these little band-aid fixes that we did. Um, that's not going to work, you know, for the rest of the school year. It's time to dig in and make sure that everybody has the training that they need on all different levels, including yeah. virtual learning. So, all right, Heather, what do you have for us from a teacher perspective? What, what piece should we be looking at? I love the notification. Oh my of goodness, you haven't had that one before. Notification of conference. That initial notification that goes out before the meeting. Oh my gosh. I, if I could talk about this forever, but I remember being a new teacher Oh my gosh, I could get in so much trouble, but not sending it out like blows my mind that I did that. And I know other teachers do it. Like, I don't want to admit that, but other teachers don't send those out. They like plan it, email it, email just, hey, we're meeting at this time on this day. And there's no notification of conference. So teachers, please, please send those out. And parents, make sure you're getting them. Like, and look at the checked boxes, right? Like, please, <laughs> you're walking into, look at what the checked box is. I've had a lot of parents that said, I thought I was walking in for an IEP meeting, but it was really just a domain meeting. And if you don't know what a domain meeting is, that's, uh, we use different terms in different states for this, but basically domain meetings, just where you sit down um, every few years and you decide what testing needs to take place to make sure that a child's still eligible for services. So we call that a domain meeting um, here in Illinois. So they thought like, oh, I'm going for this IEP meeting. They lost like days of sleep. They went through mm -hmm. boxes of Kleenex and all of a sudden they realized they walked in and they were out in 15 minutes because all they were doing was deciding on the testing. They thought they were like getting testing results and all that. It hadn't even started yet. Yeah. So um, Heather, I'm actually going to continue this conversation just for a second here right now, because somebody just, I know that they're thinking like, what do you mean? Why is a teacher not doing their job and not sending it out? This is not something they teach us in college, correct? No, no, they don't. Or they do. And they overlook it completely. Cause like, yeah, we go through the whole IEP, how to write it, everything that needs to be stated in there. Um, but like nobody says you need to send this out before the meeting, not day of the meeting, not two days before the meeting. You need to send this out weeks, weeks before the meeting when you are scheduling it, when you've originally come up with a plan and you shouldn't be planning an IEP meeting two days in advance. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> that's the other thing too. Heather's going to lecture us all on how the process works for the timeline for an effective IEP. I think that'll be an upcoming episode because- because it, be right, that would be good, right? You, you didn't know that we need to. We know that as master IP coaches, but you, the listeners, you guys, you guys need to know what does this look like from uh, from a parent standpoint, from a teacher standpoint, when we put those timelines together for that. So on that note, all right, you guys have given me something on my to do list to start planning out of when we're going to talk about that. I want to say thank you to Sandy, Brianne, Heather, Lisa. Bernie and Kirby for being here today. 
and really helping to put special education back together. Because we all know that it's falling apart. Um, I'm not sad about that. I I'm sad of why it's happening. I'm sad of how it's being handled. But I welcome the opportunity to put special education back together better than it was before. If you're listening to this and you're like, I need to talk to a master IEP coach, again, head over to myiepcoach.com. If you just had your heart set on fire in a way that you were like, I need to be with these people. I need to learn more of this. I wanna do what they're doing. You need to head over to masteriepcoach.com. You can get all the information on how all the master IEP coaches are working together on these special education initiatives to make sure that parents and teachers are building appropriate IEPs for the real world. On that note, I will talk to you guys next time.